Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, despite being Ireland's most common genetic condition, hemochromatosis or iron overload, as it's also known, is not as widely known as some other genetic conditions. The Irish Hemochromatosis Association estimates there are at least 20,000 undiagnosed cases of hemochromatosis in Ireland. I'll be finding out a little bit more later in the show. And Roxy Nafusi is the wellness woman of the moment and I don't reckon she's going anywhere to be honest. Her book Manifest has sat at the top of the charts in the UK and Ireland for over 17 weeks since its publication and her workshops and online community have been building as thousands want to learn how to cultivate the life they want. I'll be asking Roxy if there's a danger in pushing people to live their best lives rather than settle for just getting by. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm good. I have been getting the message to slow down a lot in my life at the moment. I feel like I might be in a bit of a transition stage. A lot of it, I think, is down to living with my lovely mum for a bit. It's going great, but it's not meant to be long term. So it feels like we're in a holding bay of sorts. Now, a very comfortable holding bay where we get lots of support, I would have to say, But so much of me wants to gallop to where we are going next and just be there. And I just have to learn to be patient. I'm also doing a health coach course at the moment online. And while I'm absolutely loving it, I just want to race through and be qualified. Again, I keep saying to myself, slow down. I have to talk myself down from contacting them to see if I can switch from the one year option I went for to six months. And in fairness, I'm four months in and I'm behind by a couple of modules. I'm playing catch up. So I don't know where I think I'm going with this idea of changing to quash it into six months. But again, I just want to rush to the end. And the Light Up Your World course that I've spoken about before that Fiona Brennan invited me to do, I'm almost 70% through it. And she has it set up in a way you, you do it online, but you actually can't rush it. You can only access a certain amount of her videos and exercises per week because I'd imagine the idea is that we really bed in what it is she's teaching us. And I won't lie, it's killing me. When I hit next and I can go no further, it absolutely kills me. And I think we've gone this way in life, haven't we? One episode a week of something is no longer enough. We just want to binge our way through to the end. And I'm watching The Staircase with my mom at the minute, the dramatised version of a true story. And I'm practically sitting on my hands not to Google and see what happens in the end. And I think... Simon Cowell and and that kind of band of talent shows has made us cringe at the word journey. But in fairness, any people that went on those shows really did go on one from their nervous or sometimes mind-blowing auditions to singing live on TV to millions every week. They learnt about themselves, they grew as people and it's the same with every experience. If you rush it, you miss some of the gems and I think I'm talking to myself here as much as to anyone else. I did take time to slow down on Tuesday night this week on the beach in Kalini in Dublin. Christine Higgins and Neil Omuraku led in breathwork. There was some yoga, there was some meditation. And then after a dip in the sea, the most incredible pink moon rose up like the sun over the water. And I absolutely loved it. I'm constantly surprised and pleasantly so by 
the number of people who show up to things like that. And as Neil said to me, the weirdos are taking over. I mean, there was a few hundred people there. And of course, he was joking. It is not weird to take time for yourself to fill yourself up. It's actually a necessity. And thank you so much to everyone who came to the yoga and sound bath meditation in Yoga for All in Dublin last week. Some lovely photos and a video are up on my Instagram page. And it was so nice to meet some of you listeners and get some feedback. I especially loved what a lady called Margaret told me about the move from 9am on the show to 8am. I'd worried a little that I might lose some people that had previously caught the show when they were up and about. Um, And I know many of you listen back on the podcast, but Margaret said it gives her permission to lie in bed with a cup of tea and listen until nine and then she gets up and goes. So good morning to Margaret and to everyone, no matter how or when you listen. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, despite being Ireland's most common genetic condition, hemochromatosis or iron overload, as it's also known, is not as widely known as some other genetic conditions. Early diagnosis is vital and if left untreated, it can lead to organ damage or even premature death. The Irish Hemochromatosis Association estimates there are at least 20,000 undiagnosed cases of hemochromatosis in Ireland. Brian Keegan and nutritionist Sarah Kyo join me in studio now. Well, you're both very welcome. Morning. Good morning. Brian, tell me when the term hemochromatosis first was said to you or came into your life. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a mouthful of a word, isn't it? Mm. Um, it first came when, when when I went to my GP. Um, I lived just outside Lucan. I went and um, I was not suffering from. I had chronic fatigue and I just couldn't figure out what it was. So I went to my GP, and she said, "Oh, uh, we must have you checked out for hemochromatosis." And I just went, "Yeah, hemo what?" Um, and she said, "Oh, it's just, it's kind of genetic disease, genetic condition in Ireland." So that's when I that was the very very first time. And I was totally unaware of it before then. And what age were you then? I was, uh, God, you're getting personal straight away, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm 55 now. So I, it was, it was about four. Yeah, I was a 51. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this was something that came on you, this fatigue. Obviously, you had been living your life at optimum energy levels most of the time. And then all of a sudden, what started to happen? Yeah, well, um, I probably, uh, I, I thought I was living at optimum level, but I could feel gradually year by year kind of getting more fatigue and I, I just thought it was you know I'm late 40s early 50s I'm just getting a little bit less energetic um, but I, I just felt my fatigue my my energy levels dropping 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 each year and I would supplement it with Red Bull or Baraka Boost you know the, that, that supplement and yeah I just was trying to counteract the loss of energy with, with these supplements and drinks yeah, why do we do that to ourselves? Even since I've turned 40, I'm like, well, that's the knee going. You know, this kind of thing, rather than just going to... I, I remember thinking my knees were going and I actually had tight quads and a couple of stretches from a physio and it was gone. Why do we start to just put ourselves in this box that it's all just going to go downhill from here instead of thinking with lifestyle changes and living well, people are living into their their hundreds in certain parts mm. of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit fixated on that now. There's a book called um, Younger Next Year, how to live uh, well into your 80s and 90s as if you're and feeling like you're in their 50s. Yet we don't have to allow gravity and just low energy to, to bring us to a grave. Uh, with, yeah. With, and the stereotype uh, of what a, an old person in inverted mm. commas does or what that means. 
And you look like a fairly fit man. So would you have been active in, in your work, in family life? Yeah, well, I mean, my kids wouldn't say I look like a fit man, but thank you. Uh, I'd take it any day. They, yeah, I, I play tennis. I go running. My wife likes to run, so I run with her. Yeah, so I'd, I would be doing some kind of activity three or four times a day. Um, and I was doing that at the time. Uh, but my, my energy dips were in the afternoons. And I thought, ah, that's just, just, just the way it is. Um, I mean, after diagnosing, after being diagnosed with hemochromatosis and then going through the process, my energy levels came back up to where I was in my 20s and 30s. Uh, so it's quite transformative how how the energy levels change without any supplements, without having to add vitamin C or caffeine into your body. And what was the process after you saw your GP? What 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 happened next? What was the test to determine? Well, she said, and and my GP was very switched on. She she was quick to spot it because a lot of GPs are not, you know, there's a thousand different blood tests you can get. And she said, no, I think it's this one. So, because the normal set of blood tests don't actually include a hemochromatosis test yet. It's not it's not part of that mandatory list yet, even though it's Ireland's uh, most uh, common um, genetic disease. Uh, but we when she when she came back um, when when she sent me on the uh, did the tests. The test came back four or five weeks later, and she said, "Yeah, you got this high iron, this this iron overload thing." And after that, then I had I checked in with uh, James's hospital, which is only twenty minutes away from me, and then you go through a bloodletting, a bit like you'd go to Pelican House to donate blood, uh, depending on what your levels are. Mine were twelve hundred. You, as a normal non uh, iron absorber your levels of iron might be at 50 or your count might be at 50 or 80. Mine was at 1,200. Sometimes people's goes up to 2,000 or 3,000. It just It's those different levels. So depending on how high your level of iron is will depend on how frequent you would need to go in for the bloodletting. And for me, it was once a week for about six months that I would drop a, a pint of blood um, in James's hospital. Um, and then, so they, they monitor that to make sure you don't go anemic. Um so they take as much blood out of you as quickly as possible in the safest possible way. And and that's the process. You you drop your blood so that new blood is regenerated that doesn't have this iron. And then as you then you go into management, uh, so then it was like once a month for the next six months. And now it's maybe three or four times a year that I go in. And once that happens, then instantly you start to, to feel better. Oh yeah, and particularly on the the week after doing a bloodlet, because you'd feel the new blood coming in that it was absent of this iron, um, which does weigh you down. Um, you know, it has the effect has different effects on different people. Um, but for me, it was chron- it was the fatigue part, um, and you just felt, gosh, why am I so? Why is this lethargy? Why am I just feeling so tired all the time? And yeah, you kind of almost have this natural James's hospital will reach out to you and say it's time for your next bloodlet but actually your body will tell you say your fatigue is beginning to kick in a wee bit or for others it might be joint pain or whatever your your symptoms were your body will tell you say time for another bloodlet um the body is funny that way that it, it tells you. Yeah, we mm. should listen, shouldn't we, rather than we just putting things down to so. old age, as we said. I want to bring in Sarah Kyo. Can you explain a little bit about what's going on in the body with, with hemochromatosis? So normally when 
those of us who don't have hemochromatosis, when we eat foods that are rich in iron, we actually absorb as little as 1% of that iron up to maybe about 20% of that iron. So we don't absorb all of it. And there's a reason for that. Too much iron in the body is toxic, which we know. So when you have hemochromatosis, instead of only absorbing maybe 20% of your iron, you're absorbing all of it. So you get the whole lot of it in. And then that builds up in the body. And so very commonly where it'll build up is maybe in joints. So people might have joint pain and it can build up in the liver and that can cause then, you know, damage to the liver. And, you know, if it goes on for a very long time, there's an increased risk of liver cancer then as well. So it's really that you're just absorbing huge amounts of iron compared to somebody else. And what are iron-rich foods then? Well, let me just say at the start, there is no need to cut out iron-rich foods if you have hemochromatosis because sometimes um, people think, oh, well, I have this. The first thing I have to do is cut out everything with iron in it. Don't. You still need a little bit of iron. And foods that have iron in them also carry a lot of other really important nutrients. So if you cut out iron, you often end up cutting out your zinc and your magnesium and a lot of B vitamins. So don't do that. So what you might look at, foods that we would talk about being as high in iron, things like red meat, fortified foods, supplements, Um, So what we'd look at in terms of the research is that we would advise people not to take supplements with iron in them um, and then to lean into foods that have what we call less absorbable iron. So we tend to have two types of iron. You have um, sort of animal type iron, often called heme iron, and that's what you get in things like red meat and chicken and things like that. And then you have a type called non-heme, which is a little harder for the body to absorb. And that's in your nuts and your seeds and your pulses, your beans, your lentils, um, green vegetables. So we'd say to people, look, if you can head a little bit more over to those foods and a little bit less of the red meat and things like that, that's going to be helpful. But there isn't any need to cut it out. Now, we might say to people, maybe not black pudding, which is hugely high in iron, you know, and I wouldn't be having red meat every day, um, but just to limit it down a little bit like that. And these are people with haemochromatosis. Yes. Are the rest of us okay to take an iron supplement if we feel that we are fatigued? If we need to. But what I would always say is that if you think you need an iron supplement, I check to make sure you don't have haemochromatosis first because, um, you know, as Brian said, like you feel tired, so your your instinct is to take a supplement. And if your problem is too much iron and what you're taking is an iron supplement, you're actually making the problem worse. So I'd always say, look, if you're fatigued, you know, maybe do check in with your GP, have a look and just see what might be going on. So, I mean, generally the rest of us can absolutely take an iron supplement, no problem at all. But I would always check. Um, I'd look at getting your iron from foods first and, you know, really thinking about that um, and having a check with your GP. Yeah, and I think we all really know. I mean, the Irish Hemochromatosis Association estimates there are at least 20,000 undiagnosed cases of hemochromatosis in Ireland, which is incredible because we all lead really busy lifestyles at the minute. It's go, go, go all of the time and people just accept fatigue. Mm. Whereas now that you've received your diagnosis, Brian, and you know, you're moving on with your life, you have all your energy levels back. We don't have to live that way. Mm. Yeah, and it's such an it's it's uh, you know it's a condition that is so easily managed. And for the sake of going in three or four times for me a year, the energy and the different lifestyle that it that it brings is is just incredible. You know, it's just it's it's so worthwhile. And you mentioned it's genetic. So did you find out were there other family members that had it? Yeah, a, a good point, Claire. The, uh, I, when I when I got my letter, uh, my doctor said, "Now you need to send this to your to your mom and dad." And my dad died quite. A, my dad died in the eighties, and we think it was probably fueled by by hemochromatosis. Um, he was probably very high because my my mother was a carrier, which meant that it was my dad had the full blown version. Uh, but yeah, I've seven. There's seven of us in the family, so the, the letter went out to everybody, and very oddly enough nobody else in the family has it. 
just me, which is uh, odd, an odd kind of number. Uh, whereas uh, Margaret, who's, who is the association chair here, she's got five kids and all five of them have it. Um, so, yeah, that was, yes. So we just let everybody know. And what about your own children then? Yeah, well, yeah, my, kid, my eldest kid, uh, is, I have four kids, uh, they're 19 down to 12. They would get tested in their 20s. But as soon as they're eligible, they will, of course, get tested. But for now, they have that lovely buoyant energy flowing <laughs> through their veins. They do, they do. Speaking of that, that, that energy, that iron-rich blood, Sarah, can that be donated? So it's, what you do is you need to just talk to your doctor and it's about what level can be done. But yes, once people are on the maintenance for hemochromatosis, they can actually donate and they become a fantastic source then of blood for, because we're always crying out, um, obviously, for blood and blood donations. So yeah, once people are at, at a good level and it's just their maintenance, so where you're saying three or four times a year, yes, actually, they can donate um, with the, the Blood Transfusion Service Board. So I think the message is listen to your body, check in. If things don't seem to be the way they were a few years ago, you don't necessarily have to put it down to old age because that means nothing. You seem to be as obsessed as I am now, Brian, with this living better and living well. I'm obsessed with the blue zones. I've got really into that. There was a a man called Dan Butner who went around with National Geographic studying the places in the world where people lived the longest and I mean I'm talking people into their hundred mm-hmm. it like over a hundred still working still up and about still very physically active and it really comes down to very simple things I think we get really caught up in supplements and over exercising and you know this magic formula and really it comes down to connection joy small movement of the body yes. and you know simple simple clean when I say clean eating I don't mean in the obsessive way I mean you know growing their own veg eating well and I think you know that's the most important but if there's something going on with you go and get it checked out. Yeah. And you you look at people in the southern islands of Japan and in, 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 in Italy it's about community it's about simple living it's about activity every every day it's about relationship it's, you know, in that book actually Younger Next Year it talks about all the criteria and they're sim- it's simple you know walking to being part of a community having a the Japanese talk about ikigai having a reason for being yeah. uh, all of that kind of stuff and people you know we are you know our kids will live until they're 100 uh, we have a chance to live until we're 80 or 90 the, the, the author of that book it sounds like I'm promoting his book but it's a fantastic book there's one younger next year for men and younger next year for women and, and it, it, it talks about uh, but I, I emailed the author and he's on, he was on, this was in April, he was on the ski slopes. He's 86. He's doing double blacks down the ski slope. He's living his, his own medicine, yeah. his own his own way of life. Yeah, it's all doable. Because it's a mindset, isn't it? I mean, that place in Japan, they don't actually have a direct translation for the word retirement. People just keep going and there's intergenerational living and they have that purpose. Yeah. As you say, well, great. It's all ahead of you. The black slopes at 86. Brian Keegan and Sarah Keogh, thank you so much for coming on. Roxy Nafusi is the author of Manifest, a personal development book with seven steps to cultivating the life you want. It's been at the top of the bestseller list in the UK and Ireland for over three months since its release and has been released now worldwide and is a top 10 on Amazon.com. As a self-development coach, Roxy has been building a community through her workshops, her products and her Instagram. She's done countless TV and magazine interviews And she is seriously the lady of the moment when it comes to the world of wellness and manifesting. So what is it all about? Well, I'm joined on the line by the lady herself, Roxy Nafusi. You're very welcome to Alive and Kicking. 
Thank you so much for having me. You've just come back down to earth somewhat, Roxy, after writing your second book. It was a a big, a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it was. um, Well, I had eight weeks again to write it, which is just absurd. Um, But, you know, I was was still working quite a lot. So I, I probably had, I probably got a month of like solid writing to do it. And I think that was probably it's like in some ways it's easier than the first time because you know what you're doing you trust your voice um it's like it's easier in that aspect but then it's also more pressure because you're like the expectation set pretty high now after the first one because the first book manifest has just been so incredibly popular it's been in the top 10 here in Ireland for months at this point the same in the UK and it's being translated into various languages and and sold over in the USA yeah that's right i think it's actually been number 1 in Ireland for like 17 or more than 17 weeks this year it's insane i love my irish community <laughs> And let's talk a little bit about your story then and and your rock bottom moment that led you to hear of this manifesting. Mm. Um, Well, you know, I think when I look back at kind of my whole life until I had discovered manifesting, um, it really was always overshadowed, shadowed with unhappiness. I didn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't have like a happy childhood. I didn't feel emotionally safe. Um... I already rejected who I was at the age of 12. That's why I changed my name from Rowan to Roxy so that I wouldn't stand out so much and so that I didn't feel so different. And then that kind of feeling of unworthiness carried with, you know, carried me through my teens um, and then into my 20s when I turned to drugs because what a way to escape. And so cocaine, cigarettes, and alcohol became um, my best friend, really, and worst enemy. And they that kind of journey was really long. You know, I think I went to my first NA meeting when I was 21 and again, again at 28. So this kind of knowing I was kind of in this place of addiction, um, but not being able to get a grip on it was a, was quite a long process. And it was when I was... 27 that I had really thought like I have to change like I have no money like I'm not making any money I have no job no career prospects no relationship no self-worth nothing like something has to change so I went on a yoga teacher training course and I thought yoga had I was was something I had done since I was 21 so it was my safe place and I thought, you know, if I can channel myself into yoga, you know, I'll be cured. I'll be cured of my addiction and my sadness. But when I got back from this yoga teacher training course, um, within 24 hours, I was back on a two-day bender, basically. And that's when I was like, I actually don't know what's going to, what's going to help. Um, and that's where I discovered manifesting. And your rock bottom moment was after that bender, as you say, mm. you'd had very little sleep, you felt very low. There were lots of other things that were happening in your life that you weren't mm. functioning as mm. you wanted to. And where did manifesting come in? Was it a, a podcast or a, yeah. a radio interview somebody suggested you listen to? No, yeah, I listened to this podcast. Um, it was on an American podcast show called Love Alexi. And it was the first time I'd really heard about manifesting. Like I'd heard about 
the law of attraction, but not really so much about manifesting. So I listened to this podcast and really what I took from it was that manifesting was about self-worth and that if you didn't believe you were worthy of something, you couldn't manifest. And I was like, oh, I have no self-worth. Of course I'm not manifesting. And then that's when I kind of went home and just started researching manifestation and practices and what it was and then just immerse myself actually into self-development more than I'd immerse myself into manifesting because really manifesting is the umbrella and self-development sits under it. And your book is so beautiful. You have seven steps. Once you open its orange beautifulness, it's very hard (laughs) to put it down. Oh, thank you. As you say, it's rooted in personal development because I think you know, the law of attraction and, and and all of these sort of things have started to get a bit of criticism over time, as if you've to stand in your garden and say, no weeds, no weeds, and all of a sudden <laughs> flowers will be all around you. Whereas it goes deeper than that, as you say. So what was the impact on your life when you started to really look at the, the root of things and, and really look at your own self-worth? Oh, I mean, it's it's hard to even put into words because, I mean, the impact it's had on my life is um, just tremendous. Like it's changed my life in every way imaginable. And that's because, like you say, manifesting isn't just about thinking about something or visualizing it or saying it and then waiting for it to happen. The greatest gift of manifesting is that it empowers you to become so empowered um, so limitless, so full of self-belief that you can make what seems impossible possible. You literally become the person who can create a different reality for yourself. And at the core of it is self-love and self-worth. And then it's about taking action, being proactive, stepping outside your comfort zone, embracing gratitude, making the best of the life you already have. Um, and from a you know different side of it it's also about understanding that everything is energy and that we have there are different vibrations vibrational frequencies high vibrational frequencies and low vibrational frequencies and quantum physics tells us that like attracts like and that we can manipulate our energy to be a high vibration to operate at a high vibrational frequency so that we attract more abundance into our lives so there's really two parts of it for me Um, but I just think it's the most incredible practice that I think can benefit absolutely anyone. Well, obviously we're not going to go through the the seven steps. We don't have time. And if people haven't read the book, they, you know, I'd I'd encourage them to give it a go. But there were two I I picked that we might touch on a little. Mm. And one is removing self-doubt. I think it Mm. comes back into what you were saying about believing you're, you're worthy of whatever Mm. it is that you want. But quite often we have that negative bias in our minds that I won't be able to do that and I can't do that and and I'm not good enough. And that's one of the main reels that plays in people's heads. How do Mm. you set about really removing self-doubt? Yeah. So, you know, this is inner healing and this is the inner work required for manifestation um, because obviously we accumulate these insecurities, fears and doubts. you know, from our, from our very, very early years, right up until today. And we're always providing evidence to support those beliefs that we form really early on about what we're worthy of, what we deserve, and how we feel about ourselves. 
But we have something called neuroplasticity, which means that we are able to change our belief systems. We are able to change our thought patterns, to change the way that our brain operates um, and change those, make new neural pathways. And so firstly, just knowing that like you can change your belief system and therefore change what you manifest. And the way you do that is by committing to consistent and repeated thought and action. And that's why things like mantras are so powerful because when you keep repeating, your subconscious basically never knows when you're lying or telling the truth. So whatever you tell it, it believes to be true. So if you keep saying to yourself, you know, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm never going to get anywhere, I'm just unlucky, the subconscious is just going, okay, that's true. Let's find evidence to really support that. Let's create a reality around you that supports that belief. If you start used to repeating a mantra and such as, I am enough, I love who I am, I'm worthy, even if you don't believe it, but you're saying it, your subconscious goes, okay, that's what we're going to, and you repeat it enough, your subconscious begins to form that as its new belief. And then it finds evidence to support that. And it changes what you, what you, the, the reality that you then experience. And, you know, when I was writing this chapter, it was a really difficult one. And I, I came back to it again and again, because things like repeating mantras, reframing your perspective, becoming aware of your thoughts, being mindful of the language you use, even like I, I love that one of, you know, when someone gives you a compliment, instead of what we usually do is bat it away. So if someone says, oh, you look so nice today. And you say, oh, no, I don't. I look exhausted. I'm tired. I've, you know, I've had an awful night's sleep, whatever. It's actually just going, thank you. So making these like really tiny little switches um, so that we can send more positive messages to our subconscious and change our belief system are definitely a part of it. But the healing required to really remove fear and doubt um, goes much deeper than that. And I think for me that a lot of that comes to understanding um, where the wounds are. It comes down to looking at how we can heal our inner child. And inner child work and reparenting is a really great practice for that. Any kind of therapy, counseling, journaling, um, and actually committing time to do that. Just as, you know, we commit time to working on our bodies, exercising, and going to the gym. Why not commit that time to healing, to healing where we first formed those limiting beliefs? Yeah. The other step that really blew me away, um, I'm not even sure. No, it is an actual step. I didn't know there was a, a little um, subsection, but it is an actual step. And it's turning envy to inspiration. Mm. And I think that's such an important one right now in the age of comparison because of social media. Mm. Every day we're bombarding ourselves with other people that seem to be doing life better than we are. And I think mm. it was just a really good one to hit on, to take that feeling you get when you look and go, oh my God, they've got it all figured out. Not yeah. only to step back and go, nobody has it all figured out, <laughs> but also to say, what's that teaching me? Don't just stay in jealousy, take a step on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that envy is, um, you know, we do feel you know, we often like kind of reject any feelings of envy. Um, we would deny them because, you know, we feel ashamed of them. But actually, envy is really normal. Like we all experience it if, you know, more than we admit, I think. But envy can absolutely um, teach us what needs healing. So if somebody very confident walks in a room and your first instinct is to say, oh, she's so arrogant or he's so cocky, actually, could you say, hmm, actually, 
I'm quite inspired by that confidence. And I actually would love to be able to walk in a room and with my head held high and feel confident in myself. So maybe that still needs, I still need to heal some things within me so I can get to that place. And so I think that envy, we can really firstly use it to show us what, what needs healing, but also to show us what we want more of in our lives. So if we see someone, you know, on holiday and every time we're on, you know, they, they post a picture, we feel like, Ugh. it's like, actually, why don't we use that to inspire us? God, what a great place. I can't wait to go there for myself. Let me add that to my vision board. And so I think we always, you know, I mentioned about vibrations earlier and envy is very low vibe. It's got, a, you know, it comes from this place of scarcity that there's not enough for everybody. Because inspiration is very high vibe and it comes from a place of abundance. You know, there's more than enough for us all. And so whatever we can throughout the day, if we can keep turning that envy into inspiration, it just really empowers us day to day. And I think it's really, like you say, it's very relevant for, you know, this, this society we're in now. So what has been your business build then? Obviously, you did a lot of personal development yourself and you sort of came up with the, the seven steps. So how did it build? Were you doing workshops first and stuff online that led to the book or how did it all start to, to come together? Yeah, I started um, doing my first workshop was in 2019 before the pandemic um, and it was self-love. Um, and I just, I'd built a community by doing, uh, Agni Aunt Sundays, just giving people advice a lot on my Instagram, just by being very open. It wasn't, I didn't at that point know that I was really going to turn it into a career. Um, but then I was like, I was always really inspired by watching people like Brené Brown and Tony Robbins. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to be on stage inspiring people. So I decided to host my own workshop and, um, then in the January, a couple of months later, I thought I'd do another one. And I said, you look, guys, I've been really interested in this practical manifesting. Do you want me to do a manifesting workshop? And nobody really knew wh what I was talking about because this was pre-pandemic. It wasn't like becoming a trend or anything, um, you know, because although manifest has been around for ages, it comes in waves and people, you know, people were, didn't really know what I was talking about. So I thought, okay, how do I explain manifesting um, at this workshop? And so I got my notes on my phone and in about five minutes, I came up with the seven steps and a hundred people came to that workshop and then the pandemic hit and everything shut down. So Wade actually said to me, oh, you should do them online. And I was like, should I? And he was like, yeah. So I was like, okay. So I tried this other website. So before I knew what Zoom was, <laughs> God, I can imagine we didn't even know what Zoom was. So before I knew what Zoom was, I tried a different website um, to try and do it. And it, it stopped working and I had to do it audio only. Um, but then I moved to Zoom and I kept them audio only actually. But I did, I think, 20 online webinars throughout the pandemic. Every month I did them. Um, they were different. They were manifesting, but also body and mind, self-love, um, one about stress. And I just kept doing these workshops and they were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what started is you know, a hundred people in January, 2020 was 700 people online in the February of 2021. And I'd also just signed the book deal then. And then I wrote it that summer. So yeah, I mean, it happened very fast, but I was definitely building a community through these web webinars. They were getting bigger and bigger. Everybody who came would recommend them to their friends. You know, I've never done any external advertising on anywhere except for my Instagram. Um, so it was just a very organic growth. 
And how do you handle overwhelm then? Because as you said, it's it's built and it's got bigger and bigger and you've begun to travel now. The events have got bigger. There's been a a second book. There's, you know, TV interviews, all of that. And as you say, you have a great reason to get out of bed in the morning to be some doing something that you love and truly believe in. But how do you handle the the overwhelm of, of how big it's got? Um, it's definitely been difficult. Um, I would say, you know, we, the thing is, while this is all the shiny stuff, the hard work started the moment, you know, two and a half years ago. And I really, in the whole of the pandemic, I didn't take a day off. Like I threw myself into this. So I think it feels like these six months have been really busy, but actually I would say in some ways they've been much easier than the build up to it. Like this is almost the fun part, but actually I was really throwing everything into building this community to reaching out constantly to publications, to people writing for them, doing one-to-one clients, uh, you know, going, doing my podcast, doing this. So it was like, it was always been constants that in, in some ways now I have more flexibility. You know, they say there's the donkey years. I feel like those are a bit like my donkey years. And now I'm more able to say no to so much more stuff um, and be more selective with what I do. But yeah, I mean, we don't stop. Um, I have a, you know, a small team. We do everything ourselves and it's a lot, but I think every, everybody's busy. Um, I try not to complain too much. Um, I try to find pockets of time to rest where I can. And I'm actually taking a July off, um, because I don't think I've not really stopped this year. So I'm taking July off and I'm like, get me to the finish line. And I'm going to just rest and spend time with my son. You know, he said to me the other day, I don't really get mum guilt, but he said to me the other day, he said, mommy, are you going to work again? And I was like, oh my God, my heart. So I just want to, I just want to be with him. Yeah. And it, as you say, it's a, that's a really important part of self-love is setting up those boundaries and prioritizing yourself and making sure that everything in the the wheel of life as such is yeah. um, is thriving, you know, not yeah. just the, the work side of things, but sounds like you've got that down. Yeah. And is there a danger in the message of manifesting or personal development in some ways that it's like saying to people that they're getting something wrong or they're not doing life right? Is there a fine line between people I mean, it sounds really wrong. I didn't even like that I said, is there something wrong with personal development? Because how could there be? But Mm. I suppose in the manifesting and living your best life type motto, that it feels like right now we don't celebrate just getting by or or being mediocre or average. And it kind of puts people into a striving mentality. Mm. I think it depends who's giving the message. So I think like you can see some people that talk about things that are very focused on money and things and abundance. And of course, I understand that can uh, rightly be very intimidating. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not the message. But for me, and I think I try to reiterate this, manifesting is about becoming the very best version of yourself. And there is only benefit from that. And it's not about, and I, and I do say this in the book, you know, you don't have to want something just because somebody else does. You can just want simplicity and that is enough. And I think it's about embracing like our most authentic selves, what actually brings us joy, you know, 
do we, it's not everybody wants a, you know, high pressure job just before the salary. Actually, you know, they just want to get by with their job enough to, to get them by, but actually so that they can clock off at five and be with their family and be present and be mindful and go to the gym or watch a series. And that is commendable. Nothing is more impressive than someone else. It's just what you want for yourself. What sort of uh, feedback have you had from people? I know you get messages mm. all the time of how your advice, your books, your workshops have impacted on their lives. Yeah, honestly, I regularly burst into tears reading my messages and that is not an exaggeration. Um, you know, I think the most, oh, I mean, the, the things people manifest are incredible, you know, like, whatever. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like the exact promotion I wanted happened or, you know, a lot of people um, trying for a family, you know, and, or the houses. There, There is endless things that people come to me and say, oh my gosh, I manifested this thing. But I think the ones that really touch me are the people who have said that, you know, one one woman messaged me recently and she said, my husband has suffered from like severe anxiety ever since the pandemic. Um, life's been really, really, really difficult for us. And your book is the first thing that has helped him to see the light and want to get out of bed in the morning and um, how much has changed not only him, but their relationship and, and their lives together. And um, she went into much more detail than that, but I was just, you know, sobbing. And then I even had a lady yesterday in a question box who said, um, I didn't want to be here and I read your book and now my children still have their mommy. And yeah, I mean, it's a real honor to be able to impact even one person, let alone so many. And um, I just know what it's, I know firsthand what it's like to feel that life is not worth living and to know that I can help them realize that it is, is just the greatest gift of all time. Yeah, and that there are steps that can be taken. And I think for every one person that scoffs a talk like this, manifesting and, and you know, all that kind of, of thing, there are countless more who are looking for a way and looking for advice because life can be tough. Life can be overwhelming. Things can happen. And I think your popularity is just testament to that. I was on one of your workshops and the chat box is just flying through the whole thing. My community is amazing and they're so helpful with each other. Like, it's incredible, isn't it? So you've seen, like, they're so engaged and, like, they're amazing. Yeah, and really supportive. You're right, of each other. Someone would have a question, somebody else would come back. and Yeah. Yeah. So for every one person that's not into it, there are plenty who are. You yeah. are coming to Dublin to do your biggest workshop yet. You'll oh my be God, I'm Helix so excited. In Dublin on the 3rd of September. So yeah. what can people expect from the experience? I mean, it's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So yeah. we're going to be doing the work. Yep. So it's going to be, I mean, these workshops are like honestly magical. There's an, there's an energy and an experience that you just can't, people leave hyped, excited, inspired. There's so much crying. Um, friends, like people have made, like make friends with people they just met. It's just amazing. So we're going to go through the seven steps and, um, some more on self love. We'll be doing exercises, questions. There's a sound bath at the end. 
we'll have a break for some book signing, pictures, um, getting to know each other. It's just going to be a great, great day. Um, and I know that people are going to leave absolutely ready to make a, 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 a lasting transformation. You know, I think um, September is a great time because after summer, you know, a lot of people have got out of healthy habits. They've just been enjoying themselves, rightly so. But September's that back to school. We want to kind of fire ourselves up again, reset, ready for the second half of the year and all the kind of new energy that comes with that. So, yeah, please do sign up to join us. All the details are on my website, www.roxynafusi.com. Absolutely beautiful. And before you go, you've also teamed up with an Irish superstar, Denise Kenny Byrne. My angel. With the head plan. That, I mean, and that is just a real indication of there's room for everybody. There's no oh, yeah. need to be comparing yourself to others and be in competition. You can actually come together and lift each other up. I know you've collaborated mm-hmm. on some some products mm-hmm. and she even put you forward for an Ireland AM interview that she, she was did. being booked for. This is the vibe we're going for. She is, you know, she is amazing. And we both have, we both have the same vision. We both want to help people. And I think that you're always better together. Um, we have different strengths and we work together so well. Um, our products are absolutely both of our babies. Um, and I fully support, like I love, you know, if people come to me and they say, I'll finish the journal, I'm like, get the other head plan products. Like they're amazing. Um, you know, and she would, and like she does the same for me. And so we love to, you know, collaborating with each other, you know, generally, is just so important that we don't need competition. There is enough for everyone. For as, you know, as many, for example, for me, as as many speakers as there are, there are millions of people wanting to learn and listen. And look, not everybody is going to like my message and the way I communicate, and that's okay. They'll like another speaker much more, and they'll really resonate with them, and they should absolutely go to them. You know, we're not here to be everything for everyone. We just do our best, be ourselves, and the right people will, will find you. Well, again, that event is on in the Helix in Dublin on the 3rd of September. The book is called Manifest. You will find out about it and all of Roxy's work at roxynafusi.com. Roxy, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Aidan McKelvey and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.